being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong this is premium episode 27 fbi versus ptk part 6 program to kills smoking gun or mk ultra subproject 39 the human ecology fund psychosurgery and the heart of darkness at ionia state hospital Today I'm recording from the Ionia State Hospital in Michigan. We're all downstream from Dave McGowan, or at least I am. I've spoken with several people, like maybe Dimitri or Khaled might have actually come up with this metaphor, but in some ways Dave McGowan's book Program to Kill functions as an ontological battering ram. It smashes straight through a certain framework of reality. In a certain sense, McGowan makes you blindingly aware that certain narratives around serial killers simply don't hold up. Much of my show, in fact, was directly inspired by reading Program to Kill and thinking there is no way this is true, and then going to the footnotes, tracking down the footnote, and finding even more to support his you know, theses than he wrote in the book. To that end, about halfway through Program to Kill, McGowan cites the remarks of a certain Dr. Thomas Narut, and I quote McGowan quoting an article here, a newspaper article, a U.S. Navy psychologist claims that the Office of Naval Intelligence had taken convicted murderers from military prisons, used behavior modification on them, and then relocated them in American embassies throughout the world. The Navy psychologist was Lieutenant Commander Thomas Narut of the U.S. Regional Medical Center in Naples, Italy. The information was divulged at an Oslo-NATO conference of 120 psychologists from the 11-Nation Alliance. The Navy provided all the necessary funding, according to Dr. Narut, Dr. Narut, in a question-and-answer session with reporters from many nations, revealed how the Navy was secretly programming a large number of assassins. He said that the men he had worked with for the Navy were being prepared for commando-type operations, as well as covert operations in U.S. embassies worldwide. He described the men who went through his program as hitmen and assassins who could kill on command. Careful screening of the subjects was accomplished by Navy psychologists through military records, and many were convicted murderers serving military prison sentences. Unquote. Now, please, we are nothing if not rigorously fair here on Programmed to Chill. Allow me to read the rebuttal in the New York Times, the paper of record. Washington, July 6th, Reuters. A U.S. Navy spokesman categorically denied today a London newspaper report of a program in which the Navy allegedly prepared convicted murderers to carry out assassinations. The report in the Sunday Times was based on an interview with a Navy staff psychologist, Lieutenant Commander Thomas Narut, in Oslo, Norway, where he delivered a paper on anxiety and stress at a conference sponsored by the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Dr. Narut was quoted by a reporter, Peter Watson, as saying that the Navy training involved forcing men who were selected for their passive-aggressive personalities 
to watch increasingly horrific films of killing and maiming so as to generate detachment towards violence. According to the newspaper, Dr. Narut said that Navy psychologists had picked men for commando-type operations from among submarine crews, paratroops, and convicted murderers from military prisons. Dr. Narut said that training took place at the Navy Neuropsychiatric Laboratories in San Diego and at the United States Navy Hospital in Naples, Italy, where the doctor works, according to the Sunday Times. So, now we know the claim. The idea that the Navy at least tried to make assassins using some sort of parallax view type process. Or, you know, clockwork orange, I guess. It sounds insane, and it is. And to the best of my knowledge, there's no direct line, there's no smoking gun, as it were, that would prove McGowan's hypothesis to be correct. But let's imagine what a smoking gun would look like for something like this. To me, I think that we would need to find hard proof that the Navy engaged in some kind of experimentation on killers, and that the people experimented upon would then have to go on to kill. Maybe even as serial killers. That is what I would consider a smoking gun for something like this. To my knowledge, no one has found something like this yet. Let's keep that in mind. Allow me to walk you down a dark rabbit hole that I found myself exploring recently. I was doing the reading, as contractually obligated to you, dear listeners. So I was reading the book the Search for the Manchurian Candidates, The CIA and Mind Control by John D. Marks, which is a great book. Now, I would recommend it as a very good, minimally crank, like it's not very crank, overview of what is considered acceptable regarding MKUltra research, as in it's meticulously cited, there's not a lot of conjecture, it's it's, it's a great book. It has its limitations, but it's solid. Also, it came out in like the 70s, I want to say. So it's been around a while. Anyway, I was reading it, and there's a large section that talks about a Dr. Harold Wolf. He was a neurologist at Cornell. Wolf happened to be close personal friends with Alan Dulles. As in, Wolf literally treated Alan Dulles' kid who got brain damage while fighting in the Korean War. Dulles asked Wolf to conduct an official study of communist brainwashing techniques for the CIA. We all know the story. Wolf's study actually found that the communists used traditional known techniques of interrogation. Nevertheless, Dulles wanted Wolf to continue researching along these lines. So, related, Wolf basically invented human ecology. As he understood it, human ecology is something like this. And I quote the uh, Search for the Manchurian Candidate book here. Wolf understood that every country had unique customs for child-rearing, military training, and nearly every other form of human intercourse. From the CIA's point of view, this kind of sociological information could be applied mainly to indoctrinating and motivating people. 
He distinguished these motivating techniques from the, quote, special methods, unquote, that he felt were more relevant to subversion, seduction, and interrogation. Wolf offered to study those methods too, and asked the agency to give him access to everything in its files on, quote, threats, coercion, imprisonment, isolation, deprivation, humiliation, torture, brainwashing, black psychiatry, hypnosis, and combinations of these things with or without chemical agents. I continue quoting the book here. In 1955, Wolf incorporated his CIA-funded study group as the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology, with himself as president. Through the society, Wolf extended his efforts for the agency, and his organization turned into a CIA-controlled funding mechanism for studies and experimentation in the behavioral sciences." Unquote. Now, a lot of my listeners, I know you probably know something about the Human Ecology Fund. This was the start. This would, my understanding is that this became the Human Ecology Fund. A lot of you may know that it became a conduit for CIA funding. A lot of this is well known, at least, you know, among us obsessives and paranoiacs, right? Here's where I started to learn new information, and I quote from the In Search of the Manchurian Candidate book. From 1955 to 1958, agency officials passed funds through the Society for Work on Criminal Sexual Psychopaths at Ionia State Hospital a mental institution located on the banks of the Grand River in the rolling farm country, 120 miles northwest of Detroit. This project had an interesting hypothesis, that child molesters and rapists had ugly secrets buried deep within them and that their stake in not admitting their perversions approached that of spies not wanting to confess. The MK Ultraman reasoned that any technique that would work on a sexual psychopath would surely have a similar effect on a foreign agent. Using psychologists and psychiatrists connected to the Michigan mental health and Detroit court systems, they set up a program to test LSD and marijuana, wittingly and unwittingly, alone and in combination with, with hypnosis. Because of administrative delays, the Michigan doctors managed to experiment only on 26 inmates in three years, all sexual offenders committed by judges without a trial under Michigan law, since declared unconstitutional. The search for a truth drug went on under the auspices of the Human Ecology Society as well as in other MKUltra channels." Unquote. So, Marx, the author of the book, says that the Ionia project started to freak out Cornell administrators, who are nothing if not risk-averse. So the CIA agreed to cut the Human Ecology Society loose from Cornell. I think that this is when it became the Human Ecology Fund. For what it's worth, the book cites a Cornell professor, Lawrence Hinkle, saying that it was never his or Cornell's intention that the society would be used as a CIA funding conduit, and said that he must have signed the bookkeeping papers without realizing the implications. Which could be true, as to whether you think a professor and scientist and bureaucrat would sign something and receive funding without knowing where the funds were coming from, 
much less an entire funding apparatus. I mean, I have a bridge to sell you, right? And I, I don't particular like, I'm not very invested in nailing Cornell on this, you know, whatever. Moving on. So the Ionia State Sexual Psychopath Research pretty much was MKUltra Subproject 39. Allow me to cite, for the record, a <laughs> the human drug testing by the CIA 1977 hearings for the Subcommittee on Health and Scientific Research of the Committee on Human Resources for the United States Senate. Now, the two people I'm going to be citing here are Senator Schweiker and Dr. Sidney Gottlieb. Senator Schweiker. Subproject 39 involved research on 142 criminally insane individuals. Research techniques included straight interrogation, hypnosis, hypnosis in conjunction with LSD, LSD with interrogation. Can you shed any light on this experiment or what the purpose for getting into this area was? How successful or effective was the project? Dr. Gottlieb. I have to ask again for a date on that if I can get it. The reason I was asking for a date, there was a rather large period of time I was not involved in this at all. Senator Schweiker. We have one. It is April 7th, 1958. Dr. Gottlieb. I was not in the country, not connected with LSD, had no knowledge. They go on to discuss the sourcing of LSD, then they return to the topic. Senator Schweiker asks, I want to make a clarification regarding the time period of Subproject 39. The record shows that Subproject 39 dealing with criminally insane individuals and using such techniques as hypnosis, hypnosis with LSD, and LSD interrogation actually began in 1954 and lasted through 1959, a five-year period. My words here, note, it actually extended further, but, you know, I don't think that was known at the time. Schweiker continues saying, The memo I referred to earlier was actually dated in 1958, while you were out of the country, but the project covered a much longer time frame. Gottlieb is allowed to equivocate and obfuscate here. The subcommittee continues, and they keep grilling Gottlieb on other things. I quoted this namely because it was relevant to Subproject 39, which we're going to discuss at great length. Now, I can hear some of you saying, speaking to yourself, speaking to me, Jimmy, doesn't Stephen Kinzer's book Poisoner-in-Chief talk about Dr. Sidney Gottlieb? Does this come up in Poisoner-in-Chief? Why no, dear listener, it is conspicuously absent from Poisoner-in-Chief. Thank you for asking. Maybe we will return to that later. Now, the thing is, we actually have a fair amount of primary sources on MKUltra Subproject 39. We don't have the findings, but we do have a whole lot of the paperwork. Now, let's go through that. So, in the MKUltra briefing book, which lists out, in as much as is known, all of the subprojects and their purposes, like in a general sense, it discusses MKUltra Subproject 39, and I will read from that. Objective and details of work. To study those factors which influence human behavior which could be used for achieving intelligence objectives. There were three efforts. First, 
to better understand factors which cause an individual to defect, commit treason, or change loyalties. Second, to develop skills by which potential defectors can be detected. And third, to develop methods for increasing the chances of defection of various individual targets. A separate portion of the document reads, the first purpose is described as the study of induction in high motivation in individuals by means of the development of specific interpersonal relationships. The second is experimenting with the effectiveness of hypnosis." Unquote. Now to switch to quoting from the actual sub-project's primary documents, such as they are, allow me to quote from the Statement of Agreement for the sub-project. To the best of my knowledge, this is something that the participants, the doctors, not the patients, had to sign. In consequence of previous discussions, I, the undersigned, agree to institute a research program aimed at discovering new methods of attacking the growing problem of criminality with particular emphasis on the care and treatment of the sexually deviated offender. I will enlist the aid of several professional men experienced in the field of criminology and organize a research team to carry out carefully planned scientific experiments designed to throw additional light on this difficult problem. I will secure the cooperation of state and city officials in order that the planned research can be carried out in the most advantageous setting." Unquote. Now allow me to quote from the subproject's proposed research plan. The research project will be carried out at the Redacted location at Redacted, which is located Redacted. The hospital has 1,135 beds. At present, there are 142 non-psychotics classified as criminal sexual psychopaths. There are four full-time psychiatrists and varying numbers of medical interns, two psychologists, four social workers, nurses, and attendants. The superintendent of the hospital is Redacted, a winning member of the research team. The institute comes under the direction of the Executive Secretary of the State Department of Mental Health, and any research project is normally approved by the Coordinator of Research of the State Department of Mental Health. Redacted will secure this approval, Redacted will make space available, and it is possible for the research team to sleep at the hospital while carrying out their investigation. These subjects will be selected from 142 criminal sexual psychopaths on whom there is an adequate previous investigation, including police reports, physical, psychiatric, and psychological examinations, and social histories. The age range of the subjects varies from 20 to 70 years old, and there is a wide variation of intelligence levels and social backgrounds." Unquote. My words here, there is a redacted description of the various participants, mainly the doctors in particular. And the main player here, the guy I think leading the project, is described as, quote, a psychiatrist who has a large private practice at the present time. He is exclusively devoting his time to psychoanalysis. He has had extensive experience examining criminals. As a Navy psychiatrist, he has had extensive experience in redacted 
in the field of Eastern cultures, Oriental psychiatry, brainwashing, etc. He has also done drug interrogation with criminals and has engaged in narcoanalysis and hypnoanalysis, unquote. Now, dear listeners, if you're really keyed in on this stuff, you might know who this is referring to, but we will circle back as to who was running this program probably in a little bit. I believe it is technically still redacted, so we don't know for sure, but there's really only one guy who fits. Now, I'm going to read from the experimental design for the project. Three teams of two senior professional men will be selected. The first team working with the selected group of patients will use interrogation hypnosis, hypnosis and LSD, hypnosis and tetrahydrocannabinol acetate derivative, THC. Another team working on another group of subjects will use straight interrogation, LSD with interrogation, and THC derivative and interrogation. Later, the third team with with another group of subjects will use straight interrogation and a combination of LSD and THC derivative. A meeting of all the members of the research project will be briefed on the drugs to be used, and all of the pharmacological and medical knowledge gained so far in the use of these drugs. In selecting groups of subjects for experimentation, the following objectives will be sought. First, subjects will be selected who have denied allegations of various kinds that can be checked or strongly assumed on the basis of previously established records. Second, as far as possible, the actual research man administering the drugs will not be aware of the drug he is administering, and placebos will be interspersed with drug administration. Third, precautions will be taken to neutralize age, intelligence, physical condition, social background, and any other controllable factors in selecting groups. Administration of drugs will be done both openly and surreptitiously. Fourth, sound recordings will be made of the interrogation and written reports will be obtained in other cases. Fifth, due care will be exercised in equating methods of interrogation as far as this can be done. The results of interrogation with drugs and other techniques will be checked against existing records and qualitative and quantitative reports will be evaluated, accurate and uniform reports will be kept, and reports will be submitted on the basis of interim progress and complete projects. My words again here. The rest of the primary source documents are mainly a bunch of invoices and accounting records, secrecy agreements, things of this nature. It's notable that this project was initially funded to the tune of $30,000. Mind you, that's in 1950s money. It's also important to note that the project fell under the supervision of the CIA's technical services staff and their chemical division, and this whole project was classified formally as top secret. To the best of my knowledge, I think it is still classified. So, I think this is a fair question. What was going on at Ionia State Hospital? What did they find? Were there other things occurring there? So I started to dig around, dear listeners, and I did find some very interesting things. 
1972, the Michigan State Legislature funded a proposal from a Dr. Rodin and a Dr. Gottlieb. The proposal was, quote, for the study of treatment of uncontrollable aggression, unquote. Now, this proposal was to consist of psychosurgery. And as you might guess, it was aiming at studying patients with uncontrollable aggression. And I quote from that, Under the terms of the study, 24 criminal sexual psychopaths in the state's mental health system were to be subjects of experiment. The experiment was to compare the effects of surgery on the amygdaloid portion of the limbic system of the brain with the effect of the drug cyproterone acetate on the male hormone flow. And I continue with the quote, The comparison was intended to show which, if either, could be used in controlling aggression of males in an institutional setting and to afford permanent relief from such aggression to the patient. Unquote. Now, when we say psychosurgery, what exactly are we talking about? A generally agreed upon definition is psychosurgery involves surgical destruction of the parts of the brain in order to affect behavior. Unquote. I think that's a dictionary definition. For what it's worth, Portugal outlawed psychosurgery all the way back in 1936. The USSR outlawed it in 1951. The United States has not outlawed psychosurgery, and in fact, practices it quite regularly. I mean, compared to other countries at least. Now, another word, or maybe like an outdated term for a more specific type of psychosurgery would be lobotomies, right? I think it's outdated, imprecise, and I think lobotomy technically refers to a specific procedure, whereas psychosurgery can be more of an umbrella term. I'm also not entirely convinced it isn't just one of those classic rebrandings of <laughs> something, right? Lobotomies, of course, used to be pretty common, unfortunately. It's hard to get a good read on how widespread psychosurgery is now, but as of the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of talk about the California penal system carrying out some 280-plus psychosurgeries on prisoners. Dr. Hunter Brown, in fact, conducted most of these. And would you be surprised to hear that it was largely directed at African-American inmates? Even darker, there was actually a program of psychosurgery being run out of the University of Mississippi where they performed psychosurgery on, quote, hyperactive children. Now keep that in mind, that there is a thing that is studied in the United States. Other countries ban it. Just keep that in mind. Now, going back to Ionia State Hospital, the book The CIA Doctors by Dr. Colin A. Ross contains a fair amount of what I have talked about above, you know, summarizing the primary source material, but I will quote the book discussing that. Dr. Ross has a fact that adds to the analysis, and I quote, Ionia State Hospital was the site of MKUltra Subproject 39, which investigators cleared at top secret and received $30,000 in 1955 for drug testing on prisoners 
and sexual psychopaths, including interrogation with hypnosis, LSD, and marijuana. John Doe was committed to Ionia State Hospital in 1955 for the alleged rape and murder of a student nurse. Unquote. Dr. Ross, of course, is speaking at length about this John Doe that became pretty important to the legal world, and I will continue with that, but my words here, I tracked down who the John Doe was. In most court documents, he's listed as John Doe, for reasons you'll see. But it did eventually come out who his real identity was, and it was this man named Lewis Smith. He was already committed to a mental institution, and apparently this Smith murdered and then committed acts of necrophilia against the body of this student nurse. Now I quote from a constitutional law article. Constitutional law and involuntary detained mental patients informed consent is invalid for experimental psychosurgery by Candace Fabry. In 1972, the Michigan State Legislature allocated funds for an experimental program to investigate the results of medical versus surgical treatment of patients committed to the state hospital system for the criminally insane because of severe uncontrollable emotional outbursts. Several individuals were to be chosen as subjects for the medical portion of the experiment with the single qualification that they suffer from severe, uncontrollable outbursts. A John Doe was to be chosen for the surgical portion of the experiment. He was to be a male over 25 years of age with an IQ of at least 80, who had been confined to the state mental health system for five years or more. Further, John Doe must have experienced several attacks of severe aggressive behavior. He must have resisted all conventional modes of treatment. The proposal required John Doe's voluntary informed consent, in addition to that of his parent or guardian. Within the Michigan State Hospital system, there was one John Doe who met all of the qualifications for the state-funded project. That man was Mr. Lewis Smith. He had been committed without trial to the Ionia State Mental Hospital in 1955, for the suspected murder and rape of a student nurse at Kalamazoo State Hospital, where he had previously been confined. The surgical procedure was fully explained. The surgical procedure was fully explained, and both Lewis Smith and his parents signed the consent document. Relying on the validity of the document and the ratification by both review committees, the first step of the experimental psychosurgery, electrodepthography, was scheduled for January 15, 1973. Unquote. My words here. What's interesting is that a lawyer found out about this and filed a civil suit on behalf of the patient. Smith, the John Doe, he changed his mind, and then 13 of the other 21 inmates being considered for the experimental psychosurgery all wrote to the lawyer saying they did not want to participate and many said they did not want to even be considered at all. Now, to tell a long story very short, thankfully, a panel of judges eventually ruled that informed consent cannot be given by an involuntary, involuntarily detained mental patient for experimental psychosurgery. What's more, they found out that this John Doe, Lewis Smith, was being held illegally under the Michigan Criminal Sexual Psychopathic Persons Law which had been repealed 
and found to be unconstitutional and illegal. This is pretty crazy stuff. They released Smith to the public. For the life of me, I cannot find out what happened to him. Considering that the law was found to be illegal, I believe that they let out other criminal sexual psychopaths as well. I mean, just the thought of that in general. Like, that there were criminal sexual psychopaths being experimented upon in MKUltra research, and then they were let go. That alone is scary enough. Now, here are some more concerning facts. This subproject was not taking place at just Ionia State Hospital. They also had similar operations going on for inmates in Ohio and Iowa. Additionally concerning is the fact that there are reasons to think that MKUltra Subproject 39 was closely tied to Subproject 84. Now, what was MKUltra Subproject 84? MKUltra Subproject 84 studied the nature of the hypnosis process as it may relate to the induction of a changed motivational state. Now, we think that these things are linked because a lot of the funding for both projects are typically included together. And there are, it's almost like it appears to be like a bureaucratic umbrella thing where similar people were overseeing both. And of course, the topics are very related, right? To that end, Dr. Ross cites correspondence between Dr. George Estabrooks and J. Edgar Hoover. And I quote, On June 25th, 1937, Hoover acknowledged receipt of current news clippings depicting experimental use of hypnotism by a by Dr. Herbert Cantor in the Ohio State Penitentiary at Columbus. Drugs, interrogation, and hypnosis experiments were conducted on Ohio prison inmates under MKUltra Subproject 39. The archives also contain letters from Esther Brooks to other FBI personnel. Unquote. Now, don't get it confused. Like, this wasn't MKUltra yet, but 1937, they're already doing drug experiments, interrogation experiments, and hypnosis experiments on inmates in the Ohio State Penitentiary. Before World War II. See, there is absolutely no reason to buy into the whole, oh, we're afraid of the communists, are they brainwashing us, we have to research it just in case they're researching it. None of that narrative is true. That was a Cold War invention. Not to say that they weren't using it as pretext, right? Because they absolutely were. So, you remember the redacted passage from MKUltra Subproject 39 where they described the doctor running the program? Might as well reread it. It's a psychiatrist who has a large private practice at the present time exclusively devoting his time to psychoanalysis extensive experience examining criminals, naval psychiatrist, extensive experience in redacted in the field of Eastern cultures, oriental psychiatry and brainwashing, has done drug interrogation with criminals, has engaged in narcoanalysis and hypnoanalysis. So who are we talking about? It appears very likely that this refers to Dr. Martin Orne. He fits in every regard. 
Now let me run down his career. Let me run down his CV here real quick. Orne was born in Vienna. He studied under Dr. Henry Murray, which <laughs> Henry Murray, of course, is a real psychopath. Orne attended Harvard. He had a large private practice. He did work with criminals extensively. He did work with narcoanalysis and hypnoanalysis. In 1954, Orne founded a Institute for Experimental Psychiatry. On top of that, he was the acting head, at one point, of the Office of Naval Research Committee on Hypnosis. Later on, Orne was also a contributing member of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. For those of you who don't remember, the short version is that False Memory Syndrome doesn't exist. The False Memory Syndrome Foundation was filled with spooks and pedophiles, arguing that children be lying. Much later in his career, Orne testified at a few very interesting trials. Notably, he testified as a defense witness during the Patty Hearst trial. He argued that Hearst feared for her life and therefore followed the Symbionese Liberation Army's orders. Interesting, right? Helping Patty Hearst get off. Orne also testified at the Kenneth Bianchi trial, where he testified that Bianchi was lying about having multiple personalities to avoid prosecution. At that same trial, our old friend Dr. Donald Lundy also testified to the same ends that Bianchi did not have multiple personality disorder. Now, to get to the end of this, allow me to read from an article entitled CIA Drug Subjects at Ionia Hunted by Paul Magnuson of the Detroit Free Press. The CIA is attempting to locate 142 mental patients from the former Ionia State Hospital who were the subjects of experimentation with LSD and marijuana derivatives in a CIA-sponsored program. The experiments revealed in documents released this week by the CIA were conducted from 1957 to 1969 on patients classified as sexual psychopaths under a now-repealed law, patients at the hospital were never told of the experiments in which the subjects were given the drug while being given the drugs while being interrogated by doctors. We're trying to locate the victims to inform them and, and advise them of their rights and possibly make restitution, a CIA spokesman said Friday. All those judged criminally insane were once sent to the Ionia State Hospital, which was run by the Department of Corrections. The program under which sexual psychopaths were committed without trial in the late 1960s, and the hospital was closed in 1975. One of the drug program researchers, Dr. John G. Herer, said Friday that the CIA had not told him it was about to release information on the experiments. The doctor, now a general practitioner in Sarasota, Florida, said the victims of the experiments were committed and selected, quote, through legal channels, unquote. He identified Dr. Perry Robertson, now deceased, as the chief researcher. He declined to comment further. My words here. Now, yet again, I must doubt slightly that the CIA was attempting to locate those 142 patients, quote, to inform them of their rights and possibly make restitution, unquote. I would argue that perhaps they might have had some other reason. Oh, and of course, we do not have a list of those patients. We do not know who they are. Why, that would violate their rights, of course. 
Now, there is a long list of killers who have gone to Ionia State Hospital before or after they have killed. Additionally, there's a prison in Ionia, so an even larger group of killers is frequently sent to Ionia Maximum Security Prison. I can hear you saying, okay, Jimmy, I get it. Where is the smoking gun? Well, there might be even more killers who passed through Ionia State Hospital when the MKUltra program was running, but I only found one. But can you guess who that might be? That's right, it's our old friend Henry Lee Lucas, arguably the most prolific and most sadistic serial killer in U.S. history. Why, yes, Henry Lee Lucas was at Ionia State Hospital from 1960 to 1971. Now I quote from an article here on Henry Lee Lucas. Lucas said that during this period, a transition in him took place, and upon his release, he was blatantly determined to kill people. While there, Lucas received electroshock therapy, behavioral therapy, and was given a wide range of chemicals. Reportedly, he told the doctors that if he was released, he would kill again. Quote, when they put me on parole, I said I'm not ready to go. I told them all, the warden, the psychologist, I told everybody that I was going to kill. Unquote. In 1971, Henry Lee Lucas was released from Ionia due to overcrowding. Now, without doing a whole episode on Henry Lee Lucas, I mean, maybe one day, Lucas grew up a petty criminal. He had already been to prison by the time he killed his own mother in 1960. That's why he was sent to Ionia. Henry Lee Lucas, after getting out of Ionia, committed a long list of increasingly serious crimes, culminating in the double homicide of his niece and her mother. Lucas was arrested for that double homicide. From that point on, Lucas was taken around the country by the Texas Rangers, where he confessed to committing 600 murders in 26 states. Many have alleged that he was taking the rap for a huge number of murders that he literally could not have committed. My understanding is that we know for a fact that he committed three murders, and it appears to be likely that he committed more, but not that he committed 600 murders, right? How paranoid you are sort of determines whether you think it's literally just three or, you know, at least dozens would be a pretty, like, non... Like, even thinking that he did commit, like, a dozen or more would not be particularly paranoid, is what I'm saying. So in prison, Henry Lee Lucas wrote a book, or he co-wrote a book on his life story. The book is The Hand of Death, The Henry Lee Lucas Story. In it, Lucas states that he was brought into a nationwide satanic cult. Lucas says that he was trained at a paramilitary training camp in the Florida Everglades. The training was said to include instruction in abduction, arson, and various forms of killing. Lucas states that he served as a hitman and abductor of children who he would deliver to a ranch near Juarez, Mexico where the children would be used for the production of child pornography and ritual sacrifices. Finally, Lucas stated that the cult included among its members 
various socially prominent individuals, including high-level politicians. Apropos of nothing, on June 30th, 1998, then-Governor of Texas George W. Bush made a special case to the Texas State Board of Pardons and Paroles to review Henry Lee Lucas's case. Now, during his time as governor, Governor Bush pardoned no one, and in fact, Texas carried out more executions under his governorship than under any other governor in any comparable period of time in U.S. history. We're talking 112 executions. Which, no, I mean, don't think too much about the possible numerological significance of that. Going schizo is not going to help anybody. So, it is a known fact, pointed out <laughs> with great fanfare by Dave McGowan, that Henry Lee Lucas was the only recipient of Governor Bush's clemency during his governorship. As to why, I mean, I think you would just need to, you know, start smoking a cigarette and looking out the window to, you know, really come to terms with that. So, we started this episode with some really batshit insane allegations. I mean, like, it was pretty well cited though. A US naval psychologist alleging that the Navy was trying to make assassins. Taking convicted murderers from military prisons, using behavioral modification on them, and relocating them in American embassies throughout the world to work as assassins. That was the claim. Debunked, obviously, by the New York Times. Now, we compared those claims to the basic premise of Program to Kill, which is that serial killers have, at times, been created by the government, and we discussed what a smoking gun would look like. From there, we tracked MKUltra Subproject 39 through its ties to Dr. Harold Wolf and the Human Ecology Fund right into Michigan's Ionia State Hospital, where they experimented on sexual psychopaths. From there, we tracked the progress of Ionia State Hospital. We saw that they were carrying out research on uncontrollable aggression and, of course, their interest in psychosurgery. Then we discussed an MKUltra doctor, Martin Orn, and saw that he absolutely fit the MKUltra Subproject 39 description. We talked a little bit about what Orn got up to, finally. And to my knowledge, I'm the only person who has made this connection. Now, I usually don't aggressively self-promote, but I feel very proud about this one. I identified Henry Lee Lucas, of all people, as someone who passed through Ionia State Hospital at the same time, you know, ballpark, that they were doing MKUltra research. It didn't end at 1958, and we saw that they were working on really spooky, fucked up shit into the 70s. So he was absolutely there when they were doing this kind of thing. Now, wouldn't you know, Henry Lee Lucas and others cite his time at Ionia as a period where he turned from a petty criminal murderer to a murderous psychopath, which seems incredibly significant to me. I think that there's more than enough evidence to suggest that there are massive holes in our current understanding of MKUltra. It wasn't just some zany dosing of LSD on unsuspecting participants. There weren't just a few people falling through windows. 
it wasn't just psychic driving, you know, up in Canada. No, it does actually connect directly to the creation of killers. In other words, I am certain that this is one of probably many smoking guns out there. Dave McGowan was right. Now for sources today. Of course, I used Program to Kill the Politics of Serial Murder by Dave McGowan. I used The Search for the Manchurian Candidates, the CIA and Mind Control by John D. Marks. I used The CIA Doctors, Human Rights Violations by American Psychiatrists by Dr. Colin A. Ross. Believe it or not, I did use Poisoner-in-Chief, Sidney Gottlieb, and the CIA Search for Mind Control by Stephen Kinzer, mainly to check whether he talks about MKUltra Subproject 39. Surprisingly, he does not. Also, in particular, a shout-out to Mike McLowry's blog and a variety of news articles from the Detroit Free Press and, you know, other articles that I've cited along the way. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. Tell a friend about the show. Don't just live with this horrible knowledge that I've given you. You have to pass it on to others. That's how this works. Now, thank you so much for listening, and God bless. Whether I look trusted or what, I don't know, but uh, they get in the car. So, and, uh, I go up and knock on people's doors and tell them I'm hungry, tell them I want to drink water. They invite me right in their house. And, uh, I say, come on in, yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. Which is the worst mistake you make. <laughs>